Welcome to all of you. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley. What I'm going to do is just give a brief message here with approximately 15 to 20 minutes. Um, it's Christmas Day and I have only a brief time before I need to pick up my mother and take her to meet with the rest of my family. But I failed to get in a brief message here uh, today. I'm not going to bother sharing the passages of scripture that I have received, but just a general message by the Holy Spirit without any preparation or notes of what God would be saying by his spirit to the body of Christ in relation to Christmas. We have the message of the good news, the gospel. It is a message of peace on earth and goodwill to men. Christ came into this world and he humbled himself more than you a mere creature and suffered more than you a mere creature. This is the great condescension of God some have a false, warped perception of God that limits God, where they believe God is so great that he could not be so great to come down into his creation and actually be the source of their being reconciled to God, the source of forgiveness, the source of eternal life. They perceive God as somehow so holy and so great that he could not condescend because their perception is that that would make God less than God. But really, this would be limiting the greatness of God. The absolute greatness of God is that the very ones that he has created, he is able to be intimately involved with. Why would if he created beings that he could not be intimately involved with in fellowship? Because God is love. And the very nature of love is fellowship is communion, is fulfillment through self-originating, free-willed expression. An expression, in other words, that comes from the heart. God did not create us as robots that are mere machines that receive their input from an outside source and are not the source of their own action that are not self-originating. What brings the potential of love is when beings are created that are completely the source of their own choices. True that there are outward things in our environment that influence us and affect us. But ultimately, 
the real essence of who I, we are is not formed by those outward choices. It is formed by our response to those choices, which is from the essence of who we are in our soul, that is our heart, which is the source of self-origination. God created us as free-willed beings because it is only when we are self-originating that we have the capacity to love and that we are truly self-responsible. And so the great condescension of God is an expression of the greatness of who God is in his very being of love. The misperception of God somehow being less than great that he could humble himself more than the mere creature and suffer more than the mere creature is a distortion that in that distortion is limiting who God is by our mere finite human frailty. It all started in the time of the very beginning when Cain began to develop a wrong perception of God, probably due to offense because of seeing the consequences of suffering about him because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Yes, God's love is also filled with it. It's absolutely pure. It is absolutely upright. God's love has integrity and requires the consequences of violating his love. His love is that quality that is totally self-originating and always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of fulfillment that would be less than the highest lasting good. This is known in the word of God as agape love. It is more than a mere feeling and a mere interaction of emotion between another person. It is a choice that is totally self-originating, that always chooses the highest lasting good. And that is because God's love is perfect. God's love requires that he, there is judgment against all that is contrary to his love. His love is a pure integrity of love that is as a blazing fire of judgment that consumes all that would be in contradiction of his love, whether it be in word, deed, thought, or action, or whatever other state of existence. His love is what Cain was offended at the consequences of his love. When we are offended at the consequences of God's love in its integrity to require judgment, we begin to develop 
a distorted, self-idolatrous image of God in our heart. And we see that throughout history, this has resulted even in the outward worship of those that would call a God, God, that shows nothing but the opposite of what is love, that is totally controlling. And Cain, the seed of this happens when we are offended at the holiness of God and take that offense into heart and feed it so that it begins to live in our heart and form our own delusional self-projections of who we want God to be. And so Cain began to have a perception of God as holy and great and powerful, but demanding and dictatorial. What he lost sight of is that it is the holiness of God that is so necessary for there to be no corruption. Corruption is what? Corruption is that which is destructive in principle, that chooses less than the highest lasting good, which therefore infers that there is the principle of destruction that will bring an end to what quality is there, that is indeed quality. When we lose sight of the fact that the holiness of God is the foundation for ultimate trustworthiness, for what has corruption in it is not ultimately trustworthy. What has corruption in it is not ultimately even real because reality is that which has no corruption in it. It is full of life that is ever enlarging and ever expanding. In fact, one of the names of God is basically a definition of reality. When God says that, I am that I am, that is a hiya, a sherahiya. He is saying that he is the very source of reality. The name Yahweh means the self-existent one. Yes, and the essence of that reality that can only be reality because it is not able to be corrupted and therefore goes on forever and ever in creativity that is ever enlarging is a love that is so pure that it requires judgment. You say, how does this relate to the great condescension of God? Well, in this sense, because if we have offense, first of all, at who God is in his holiness, which is the integrity of his love, it will distort our image of the goodness of God that is contained within the holiness of God, as I said, the foundation for reality, for that which is indestructible, that which is totally life and therefore totally fulfilling, has no definite, is the holiness of God. And if we do not see that, if we do not see that what is ultimately trustworthy is what is that the God who is not corrupt because he's holy, if we don't, therein, what do we see? We see that God is good. 
And if we see that God is good, we recognize that his love must be so great that it can be transcended with the power to provide mercy, to assure forgiveness to those that repent and receive his love. And this has been the message of the gospel from the very beginning, from the time of Adam and Eve, that there is one God and that he has provided a way of forgiveness so that we can be reconciled to him, and that is without violating the integrity of his love. Now, I could get into all the in-depth of what I've been writing on, and, uh, on, on, on all of this. I will simply say this for time. They understood that God was the source of forgiveness from the very beginning of time. They knew that Adam and Eve had to have their leaves of figs and that they were trying to cover, to cover the shame of their nakedness, replaced with the sacrifice of animals that gave them coats of skin, which was a type of God providing perfect atoning sacrifice. But even in the sacrifice of those animals, they recognized that the source of forgiveness was not in the animal, but was in God. He was the source of forgiveness. Because his love had such a great capacity of purity in holding that goodness, that goodness could be so great and so ultimate that God could take judgment upon himself, as it were. They saw that he had such a high moral quality that it was as if he had already taken judgment upon himself for them. Whether they saw this fully consciously, it may have been more subconscious, and some it may have been even recognized intellectually in a conscious way. We know that throughout history, they recognized that there needed to be a Messiah ultimately. Even the Pharisees in the time of Christ and have recognized that there had to be a suffering Messiah as well as a conquering Messiah. They just didn't recognize it was one and the same. And they didn't recognize, obviously, that it was God fully, or they would have not crucified him. And maybe they did, because there is a stone that was recently discovered, and it slips my mind right now, a very ancient writing before the time of Christ that describes how they recognized that there had to be a suffering Messiah. And I don't know now whether in that writing, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it makes it clear that that had to be God. Because if people recognized throughout history that God was the source of forgiveness and mercy, and they recognized even in the Old Testament that an animal sacrifice could not redeem their soul. They even... The psalmist even says, even if I give the fruit of my body, it is not sufficient to save my soul. They recognized that there was a moral quality in God that was so great that he could take judgment upon himself. In other words, suffer more than us, the mere creature, and humble himself more than us, the mere creature, by living in a human body a perfect life without sin. 
Only that would qualify for a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. And that obviously infers that it is not within man to be that way, and therefore that the source of perfect atoning sacrifice is in God himself. Those that perceive that God is somehow less because he would be able to condescend and be the very source of our salvation have a perception of God that is distorted like Cain, where they view God as some dictator that is holy but does not contain goodness and life because they do not recognize that he loved us so much that he created his creation with destiny and purpose. And if he created his creatures with anything less, it would imply that God was creating what he could not give destiny and purpose to, which would imply that God is less than God because he was not able to create with ultimate purpose and destiny. And so there's a wonderful message. And that Christmas message is this, that God's love is so pure that he requires utter judgment against sin and that we need not be offended at why he would allow all the things that might happen in our own personal lives that seem to be just so unjust in the world that seem to be so unjust. Because we recognize that the ultimate end and the ultimate purpose of God is that he would have a corporate bride that you can be part of, a family in heaven that will go on forever and ever in greater enlargement of love that is expressed in greater and greater realms of creativity and counteracts the principle of corruption throughout the universe. God created man and the angels and all creation to be part of one big family. Yes, right now we are seeing corruption all around us and the suffering and the danger is to dwell on that instead of to recognize the absolute goodness that is in the holiness of God that requires such consequences, a goodness that is so transcendent that it resulted in God taking judgment upon himself for us. And that was in the being of God even before he created the world. God had a love that was ultimate in perfection. It was not only perfect in holiness, but it was a holiness that because that foundation had no corruption, was expressed in what is ultimate. That is that he could provide for you reconciliation to him, forgiveness, restored fellowship with God and with his creation so that you as an individual have destiny and purpose and can be part of the corporate bride of Jesus Christ that will go on forever and ever. That is where history is going. I read a psalm today and it wasn't, you know, a profound uh, passage for messages. But in this psalm, Psalm 73, one thing stood out to me. And that is this. It is when we enter in the spirit into the heavenly place before the throne of God that we see the true end of things in this present world. 
We need to learn to abide in who God is. Of course, how that begins is when we come to recognize in the light of God's integrity of love, that is his holiness, our utter undoneness and how much we deserve the judgment of God and eternal separation from God. And when we see that and we recognize that in the light that his holiness is good, that our judgment is deserved. And how can we recognize that if we don't recognize that his holiness is so good that he can also give us a way of being forgiven if we repent and receive his perfect atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ that happened on the cross in the center of history. Yes, it doesn't matter how terrible the sins are that you have committed. It doesn't matter if you begin to dwell on who God is and how great he is in his love. You will recognize that you can be forgiven, that you can receive forgiveness of sins when you repent and make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of your life. But it needs to be a true and a sincere cry from your heart. It says in Romans chapter 10, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This needs to be a call like you're drowning in water, where you cry out from the depths of your being and recognize that your true life sources in God, that he is the source of your forgiveness, of the assurance of your forgiveness, of your very life and destiny and purpose, and that you can enter it. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you and tell you you can't and become oppressed so that you're brought to the place where you believe lies and you fear and find no hope because you bought into the lie of a distorted image which is not the one true God, but is from the deceiver. Come to the place of contrition and circumcision of heart. It is this awareness that we continue to abide in once we've received Christ that causes us to grow into a greater and greater intimacy and fellowship with God. It says in the word of God, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So this Christmas, which means the mass of Christ, gathering around Christ, picture yourself gathering around a God of such incredible love. In fact, there are those that have died, and you can see it on my website at ultimatemeaning.com, and have seen life after death, including atheists, that saw hell and then were taken to heaven and shown the mercy of God because God knew what was in their heart, that they were able to receive his mercy. And so what did they, the atheist that was converted say he saw when he had died in his body and his brain was Flat, flat reading, and he was in the morgue. He said the brightness of God's love was so great that it was beyond words to describe the love that was going through his being and the brightness of the light. And he said that out of his mouth, it was as if galaxies were being created continually and out of that mouth was coming love. This is the presence of the one great true God, the I am that I am, who 
governs beyond the time and space realm as the originator that sees the end from the beginning known as the Father, one God, who governs in the time and space realm as the full expression of the Father, the Son, meaning expression, and who fills all things with his Holy Spirit in omnipresence and ability to raise the dead and to be in personage in more than one place at once. Beyond our comprehension, not three gods, but one God and three personages. And if God was anything less, he would be less than God. For it is only as he is in conscious intelligence in, in beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space, that he can be almighty as God. And his love is so great that he could condescend and communicate with his creation and even be the perfect atoning sacrifice so that you could be part of fellowshipping with him forever. Thank you for listening to this Christmas message, and may God bless you. Amen.